Have you ever been hurt, wounded, or offended by a leader? In that situation, how did you feel about it? Did you feel like you lost something in the process? Did you suffer a loss along with that? Did you feel like something was taken away from you? What effect is that hurt, wound, offense, or loss having on you today? Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive, and the beginning of our three-part series entitled Empowered or Immobilized, Your Response to Leadership Failure. Let's pray. Lord, we just praise your holy name. Lord, I pray that you will minister life here today and that everybody here will feel like they have permission to process the issues of their heart in regards to or in relationship with a leader, whoever that might be, maybe a church leader, maybe a leader in another capacity, but somebody in a leadership role who has hurt them, wounded them, offended them in some way, and they feel like they've really suffered loss and something has been taken away in the process, and they're having a hard time getting it back, and it's still affecting them today. I pray that uh, by your spirit, everybody here will feel like this is a safe place today and that we have permission to process this toward it being resolved and becoming a non-issue because we're free, free to receive all that you have for us, free to live from your opinion of us, free to live our life as unto you, undistracted, unhindered. Thank you, Lord. We commit this time to you, Lord. Bring out into the light everything that's important to you. Accomplish all that you want here today, at least in a beginning way, and and then we know with you there's always more, so we'll look forward to the more. In Jesus' name, amen. We've chosen to uh, step into the flow of a mini-series by this title, Immobilized or Empowered, Empowered or Immobilized, Your Response to Leadership Failure. Because it's been my experience, Mindy's experience, and others I'm sure would testify, that we've seen a lot of hurts and wounds and losses over the years in terms of people being offended by leaders, whether it be in the church or in ho- at home, school, job, all kinds of situations. And it's really been, it's really been uh, grieving to me, as I've counseled with a lot of people over the years, it's really been grieving to see so many lives adversely affected uh, by, by situations involving people in authority. Um, it's been so grieving to, to meet with and counsel with those who, at the time I met with them, in some cases their lives were, were shipwrecked. Uh, their faith was shipwrecked. Because they had uh, looked to this leader and put their trust in this leader, and this leader let them down, offended them, betrayed them, many different things. And at the time, I was 
counseling with this particular person or persons, they were having a hard time. They were having a hard time coming out of the deep, dark pit of disillusionment. It was affecting their relationship with the Lord. It was affecting all of their relationships. They, their, uh, their soul was filled with uh, a, tos- a toxic poison. They were having a hard time seeing straight. Uh, they, they had lost their way in many cases. And they become cynical, as I said, angry, um, bitter, disillusioned, disheartened. And I was really grieved because I thought, this, this ought not to be. I realized as you go through life, we're all going to get hurt and offended. We're all going to have loss. We're all going to be wounded. But, but there seems to be a, if I can say it this way, an extra measure of the wrong kind of power, and the extra, an extra measure of impact, uh, an extra measure of devastation when it involves a leader. We know leaders or leadership is all about influence by God's design. With or without a position, leadership is all about influence. But people in a position have, have the potential for great impact. Fathers and mothers have a great um, potential for great impact. Teachers and coaches Uh, heads of organizations. But there seems to be another dimension, if I can say it this way, of even greater impact, negative impact, if you will, a negative strength, a negative power, is when it's a spiritual leader. And I think that's probably because of the expectations that we have of somebody who is supposed to be a Christian, so they say. They're in that kind of a role, be it a pastor, missionary, head of an organization, a parachurch organization, or a religious organization. And, and, and we think, well, this, this is supposed to be a godly person. This, this is supposed to be somebody I can count on. This is supposed to be somebody I can trust. But they let me down. They betrayed me. They used me. They abused me. They offended me. They manipulated me. They controlled me. So the purpose of addressing this today includes giving you permission to process this and resolve it so you can be free. Let's take a look at some biblical examples of leadership failure. This is not exhaustive, but just to uh, kind of prime the pump. In Genesis, the third chapter, of course, we see right in the beginning with Adam and Eve, they were given a clear command, a clear mandate from God that you could eat of any tree in the garden except one. And, of course, we know that the serpent approached Eve and tempted her, and she yielded, and then she gave some of the fruit to her husband. And I I, I didn't read anything in there that said they talked about it or said anything, but she took the fruit, and then she offered some to him. 
There's nothing written that said she had to go find him, uh, go look for him. So uh, I'm assuming he was there. I'm assuming he was there all along and heard and saw what was going on between the serpent and Eve. And without a word, she gave to her husband and he ate too. Sin entered the human race through one man. It doesn't say one woman. Adam. Right away we see a huge, a huge aspect of leadership failure, passivity. We see the passivity of Adam. And then in Genesis 39, and I want to read a little bit about this, a little bit about this account because I think it is definitely so representative of so many situations. But you know the story. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. <clears throat> and then let's pick it up at Genesis 39, verse 1. <clears throat> and it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. He'd been sold into slavery. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. The favor of the Lord was upon him. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he trusted him. He entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left, so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, to paint a little bit of a picture, maybe a temporary, a contemporary parallel, imagine yourself uh, working for someone, and obviously that person is the leader, and uh, you have great favor, and you're getting closer and closer in relationship. There's a lot of trust in that relationship, and this person is really entrusting a lot to you. And there's favor, there's trust, there's a lot of responsibility, and things are really going well. I mean, this is really working. This is really positive. The blessing is flowing. And then it goes on to say, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one, has, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused. He refused to go to bed with her or even 
to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When, he, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand had run out of, and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us, to make fun of us. He came in here to sleep with me. False accusation. But I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She's painting a false picture. She's lying. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home, until Potiphar came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, the whole story, I'm assuming, his wife told him, saying, this is how, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, I'm not reading anything here where Potiphar wanted to hear the other side of the story. I'm hearing that he reacted and that his response was anger. Now, can you imagine that? You've been working for someone. You've got all this favor. They've entrusted all this to you. Things are going great. And then someone, in this case his wife, someone starts sowing discord. Someone starts painting a picture, telling lies about you. Someone starts putting you in a bad light, falsely accusing you. And the leader believes them and doesn't even ask you. Leadership failure. Uh, The obvious outward expression of this was his anger. We have the passivity of Adam. We have the anger of Potiphar. And in the case of anger, what was going on with Potiphar? We don't want to add to the scripture. You know, we want the scripture to speak for itself. But I wonder, what was going on? Why didn't he get the other side of the story? Was he concerned what others were going to think? Because after all, his wife had made a big scene and, and part, of what, uh, part of what she said is, you know, they've, he's come here, the Egyptian, or the Hebrew rather, has come here to, to make fun of us, to make sport of us. So it's like Potiphar can't afford to have any bad press, right? So we'll just put this guy away. How about you? Have you ever been under a leader who didn't believe the best about you? when the false accusations started going, when they started flowing, when somebody was maybe jealous of you or wanted you out, so they started painting this picture to put you in a bad light, and the leader believed them, not you. Maybe to, 
maybe for the sake of their image, maybe a fear of man issue, or maybe Potiphar was thinking selfishly, well, if she's upset with me, you know, I'm not going to have any intimacy with her. If she's upset with me, it'll affect me. I'll lose something in regard to her. So we've got to keep her happy. Only God knows. But this was a leadership failure, nonetheless. And then we have 1 Samuel 18, a classic failure where King Saul, in his jealousy and his fear of David, began to pursue him and go after David, wanting him dead, (coughs) trying to kill him. And then in 2 Samuel 11, that same that same King David, or that same David who now is king, that same David who, even though King Saul was pursuing him, and even though he had opportunity to kill King Saul, he wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed, though he had opportunity, he wouldn't. He honored the position, though he knew that the behavior of the king wasn't honorable. That same one that responded well, now did not behave well when he was king. And we see, we see in 2 Samuel 11, in the beginning it says, when in the springtime, when kings are out at war, King David sent Joab, and he stayed home, and he stood on the roof. Think he had too much, hand, too much time on his hands, resting on his laurels, Because he's the one who had slain tens of thousands, right? That was the refrain that galled King Saul. David has, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And that was part of what galled Saul. And he was angry and bitter and jealous and filled with murder and tried to kill Saul. Or David, rather. But now here's the same David who responded well to that assault, encouraged himself in the Lord, did not return evil for evil, and now he's the king. Now he's the leader. Now he's the leader that's standing on a rooftop, looking at Bathsheba below, called to have had his servants brought, have her, had her brought up. He had sex with her, she conceived. Nathan, Nathan the prophet confronted after David had set Uriah, her husband, up on the front lines and put him in a position where he was more vulnerable to be killed. So we have a king, a leader, who committed adultery. We have a leader who committed murder. We have had a leader who was deceptive. And then Nathan the prophet nailed him. And then he humbled himself. And then he repented. And the baby was going to die that David was going to be spared. As you look at the leadership of David in that case, I think we could characterize it as a core part of his leadership failure was pride, and I think pride opened the door for lust. And keep in mind that lust isn't just sexual lust, though he lived that out, but lust is strong desire. So it could be a strong desire to fulfill a God-given appetite for sex, or it could be a strong desire a lust for significance, but lust would be a descriptive word that certainly was 
associated with or could be associated with the failure of David. And then we see in the Gospels the religious leaders who went after Jesus. And uh, I love these words in, in John, the fifth chapter, that are so descriptive. John, the fifth chapter, in verse 39, where it says, and Jesus is confronting the religious leaders at this point. He said in John five thirty-nine, he said to those religious leader, leaders, he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify of me, yet you refuse to come to me for life. And we know that for sure what characterizes those religious leaders is pride. Pride blinded them. They searched the very scriptures that testified of the Messiah. But because of their pride, because of their spiritual pride, their hypocrisy, they were blinded and, and did not see. They had a veil over their eyes and could not see the fulfillment of the scriptures right before their eyes. Their pride wouldn't let them see. Their religious pride wouldn't let them see. So certainly when we're talking about failure the failure of a leader, passivity can be involved, anger can be involved, fear of man, protecting position, jealousy, lust, pride, to name some that are at the heart of leadership failure. As we live in today, what are some common examples of how this failure can, can, can play out. And here again, I want to share some observable phenomena, and I'm sure you could add to this. And as you would have liberty today, I'd, I'd like you to be able to share. And we're not here to mention any names. Uh, that wouldn't be appropriate. But I care to the degree you're willing to share uh, what's on your heart. Let's bring it out into the light because I really believe God wants to give us permission to process, permission to resolve, and a process that would lead to forgiveness and freedom and letting him have the last say. Because I think so many times, if I can say it this way, so many times I think we get, we, you know, we get caught in the turmoil of of, uh, we've been offended by a leader, we've been wounded, we've been betrayed, and it's like, what do I do with this? You know, who do I talk to about? Who, who do I talk to about this? Who do I talk with about this? Because if I talk about it, then I'm speaking against, I'm speaking against God's anointed. So I can't talk to anybody, so I've got to keep my mouth shut. And besides, you know, who am I? They're the leader. They're, so, you know, they're supposed to be the spiritual one. I'm probably wrong. It's probably my fault. So that people live in that turmoil. They, they live in that turmoil of what can I say? What is appropriate? I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to speak against anybody. I don't want to gossip. But on the inside, they're, they're dying. On the inside, they're feeling the shame. They're feeling guilt. They're feeling fear. They're confused. 
They're beaten down, and the enemy is having a heyday. <clears throat> I pray that today, in a beginning way, you'll begin to see some, with some clarity <clears throat> and some light as far as what's appropriate. Not only the ultimate response that God is after from us, but his God-approved process. God-approved process. I really believe um, there are many examples of leadership failure today that we could cite. As I've thought and prayed, and as Mindy and I have talked about this, and with our years of experience in counseling people and, and uh, helping people walk through these kind of things, one in particular that I think is especially, um, especially deadly, if I can say it this way. And, and as I say it, you, you may think that it, it may not at first sound like it would be. But I think because of the subtlety of it, because of, uh, because of how the enemy twists it, I, I really believe it, it can really become deadly. Before I mention it, keep in mind we have five basic appetites as human beings. Appetite for food, appetite for sex, appetite for knowledge, appetite for pleasure, appetite for status or significance. We, we want our lives to count. We want to love and be loved. We were made for relationship. We want to belong. We want to be included. We want to include. We want to be included. We were made for relationship. We're relational beings. There may be more than one word that captures this, but the word I'll use is that when a leader plays favorites, I believe it's deadly. When a leader is guilty of showing favoritism. And along with that, to just kind of unpack that and define it a little more, when a leader not only shows favorites or has favorites, but with that, um, well, let me back up just a second. Included in that, as we take a look at that, what kind of message does that send when a leader shows favoritism or plays favorites? Is everybody going to be a favorite? No. Now, one reason why you'll hear me, and, and uh, this isn't necessarily my motivation as to why I say this, but I believe, even now I'm thinking about it, I really believe it just goes in the opposite spirit. When I love to tell you that you're a favored son or a favored daughter. Because I believe that's the only kind God has. <laughs> And if God did have favorites, which I don't think he does, because we all are favored sons and daughters, but I really believe that he would want us to live from the perspective that if he did, you'd be one. <laughs> you'd be one. You'd be one. In other words, there's only one kind. So what does it say when a leader with influence position and power 
what if he plays favorites? What if he sends the message that certain people are the special people? Or certain people are kind of, they're a part of the, the in-group. What message does that send to you if you don't feel you're a part of that? Rejection. Any other thoughts? Discouragement. Insignificant. Any other thoughts? Inadequate. Demotivated. So it's kind of like, describe, I'm describing kind of a religious club instead of a real church by God's definition. Keep in mind that the appetite that's being challenged, if I will, is the appetite for significance, which includes, I want to belong. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants, to, we were made for community. We were made for relationship. Everybody wants to be included. Everybody wants to be a part of the family. Everybody wants to be included. Everybody, there's something in us that at least wants to be asked. You know what I mean? We'd like to be the one to say no. <laughs> but if you don't ask me, then I can't say yes or no. There's something, there's something included in the satisfaction of that appetite for significance, which includes, I want to belong. I want to be a part of something. I'll, and then, of course, as we as we grow and becoming fully alive in the Lord, we just more and more want to become a part of something bigger than we are. We want to be a part of something significant. We want to give ourselves to it. But as I've uh, noticed over the years, observable phenomena, not limited. I've not seen, I've seen it all over. I've seen it in schools, even Christian schools. I've seen it in the church, I've seen it in business, I've seen it all over. Now I think there's different reasons why, I think there's different reasons, different motivations why this club mentality or the, the clique mentality or the special people mentality or the favoritism, I think there are some things that contribute to that happening. Again, I think um, it has to do with the motivation of the leader. As we take a look at the motivation of the leader and the heart of the leader and the maturity of the leader, a, I, I believe a mature leader, mature means you know who you are, you know whose you are, you know why you're here, you know why you're going, and you are in relationship to give, not to get. That's maturity. And of course, in Christ, that's the ultimate. We know who we are in Christ progressively. We know whose we are. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. And we've got nothing to prove. And yeah, I'd like to have you be a part of it too. Let's, let's do it together. No competition, no jealousy. I know who I am. I know I'm a son. But I believe if a person is lacking in maturity, if the leader is lacking in maturity, and if the leader is leaning into insecurity, then a leader, be it 
in a church, be it in an aspect of ministry in a church, be it in a business, be it in fill-in-the-blank, a leader who's not secure in the Lord likes attention themselves. And think about it. If you're leading, if you're leading an organization, whatever that might mean, and you've got some people around you, and let's say that Ed really, I mean, what, what I've got to say as the leader, let's pretend for a moment I'm the leader, and he, he really likes what I've got to say, and boy, his responses really make me feel good. But then, you know, Mike over here, he's always asking questions and he always wants clarification. You know, I just don't know whether Mike is, I don't know whether he's on board with me or not. He doesn't make me feel too good. But then, then there's over here, we could go around the room, there's uh, Donnie, it's Donnie, right? And Donnie, you know, he, he's making me feel good. And then pretty soon what happens is, the leader, out of their insecurity, starts surrounding him or herself with people that make them feel good or feel better. But, but we've lost something in that because the insecure person is going to tend to go that way because they need, they need to be supported, they need to be propped up, they, they need cheerleaders. But the secure person, the more mature leader, likes camaraderie, likes unity, and doesn't mind being encouraged, but would rather, would rather find somebody who needs encouragement and to encourage them. Would rather go after someone who is sitting alone and, and doesn't have a friend. Or It's like, come on, come on in. We want you included. So whether that's teachers or pastors or businesses or whatever, I believe the more secure we are in Christ, the more apt we are to be pursuers of people, even if they aren't real motivated. Think of a teacher, just for a moment. Just think of a teacher in either a Christian school or, other, or, or a, a public school. Here you are teaching. Are you going to be the kind of teacher who's going to try to engage with those uh, students that are, are not as motivated? Are you going to go after them? Are you going to try to engage them? Are you going to try to take an interest in them? Or do you prefer the students that do their assignments, they smile at you, they nod your head, they nod their heads while you're teaching, and they're obedient and compliant, and they make, they make you feel successful as a teacher. But the ones that aren't as well-behaved and maybe marginal to maybe even rebellious at times, they don't make you feel like a good teacher. They make you, they make you question whether you're a good teacher or not. Are you going to go after them, or are you just going to let them? We'll try to survive them. Can you see how this special group of people can emerge? Can you see how this special club can emerge? Because the teacher is going to have his, his or her favorites because those are the ones that he, he or she doesn't have to work as hard on. Those are the compliant ones. Those are the ones I want to be around. They make me feel good. They make me feel like I'm a good teacher. I like them. But these ones that look like they're 
the lights are on, or, you know, I mean, what's the expression? The lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, they're giving me this deer-in-the-headlight look, and come on, come out of your comatose condition. Are you getting this? What are we going to do with that? So whether it's a teacher in a public or a private school, whether it's youth ministry, children's ministry, adult ministry, in a leadership role, in a business, in a church, are we going to be pursuing people or are we going to be spending most of the time with the ones that make us feel the best? Are we going to be an encourager or are we going to try to surround ourselves with those that encourage us? Are we going to be a servant leader or a serve me leader? Serve me leaders hurt others. <laughs> of course, it's possible for a servant leader to hurt somebody or offend somebody because of unmet expectations. But when that happens, the response of the servant leader is different than the serve, serve me leader. Because the serve me leader will make excuses, be defensive, turn the tables and make it look like you got the problem. And a servant leader, when they catch wind, that you've been hurt, offended, or there's something bothering you, they'll want to seek to understand. They'll want to seek to make it right. They'll want to seek to be reconciled. And they'll want to invest. And they'll want to help. And they'll want to add something to you. So insecurity, pride, those kind of things, I believe, fear of man, passivity, Rejection, unresolved rejection. These things can contribute to a leader who shows favoritism or has favorites. Now think of the damage that can be done to a young person, teenager, and adult when a leader plays favorites. Think of the damage that's done. Think of the damage that's done not only in offense, but think of the damage that's done is because I believe there's something in us, there's something that's, that in, is in us that, that we want some reality. We want to be able to follow that leader. We want to, we want to respect that leader. But how can you respect a leader who is a serve-me leader? How can you expect, how can you respect a leader who plays favorites. How can you expect, how can you respect a leader that leads that way? You want to, but then the challenge, then the inner turmoil begins. It's like, it, that's where the beginning of disillusionment can begin because you, you've been hurt, perhaps, you've been offended, perhaps, but then added to that, you want some reality. Isn't there a servant leader around here somewhere? I'd sure like to know one so I can follow, so I can be inspired by that. I want to see the reality of, is there one, or are these leaders all in it for themselves, trying to build their own kingdoms? I believe that can feed the uh, disillusionment because there's a cry for reality coupled with the offense 
But then somebody could say, well, you shouldn't have your eyes on man. See, it's your problem. Get your eyes back on God. More than one thing is true. More than one thing is true. I want to give you permission to think and feel and process. Another aspect that is common to leadership failure is a lack of integrity. Of course, that can take different forms. That can be out and out lying. That can be double messages. Uh, lack of relational integrity. You know, it's like you say one thing and you do another. Uh, always flip-flopping. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> you're all over the map, you know. You say one thing and now I'm hearing another message. I mean, what, what's true here, you know? I mean, if you're the leader, I'd sure like to follow, but where are we going? It's always changing. It's, it's like a mirage. I think I see it, but then the closer I get to it, it disappears. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd the destination go? <laughs> lack of integrity, lack of relational integrity in particular. And of course, moral failure is devastating because you've trusted that leader and then they violate the very things they've been teaching on, preaching on, the very values they've been proclaiming and declaring and, and this is it, this is how to live. I mean, wherever, you know, Christian or not, people live their values. They declare their values in business. They declare them in schools. They declare them in Christian environments or any environments. We declare what we value. We live what we value. All else is talk. But the problem of it is we talk about it, but then when we don't live it. And then when there are those gross gaps, that can be really disillusioning. Because here you are, this maybe a young person, so impressionable in and then, and then this leader tries to uh, sexually abuse you. I mean, those kind of things happen. And or this leader that you've respected so highly, and, and, and then they have an affair with another man or another woman. It's like, what happened here? Doesn't anybody, I'm looking, I'm looking for somebody to live this. I mean, a leader, it's all about influence. Is there some reality here? Is there some authenticity here? Or is this just all talk? Does anybody live this? So favoritism doesn't seem to say we're living it. Plain favorites, special people, club mentality, cliques, teaching against cliques, and then having them. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Relational integrity or... Financial lack of integrity, moral failure, broken promises. We could go on and on. How about you? Without mentioning names, how have you been offended? How have you been wounded? Yes, and to the degree you would have the liberty. Some things are better shared privately. Some things can be said publicly with discretion without implicating another person. That's not my goal here. My goal is not to expose anybody today that we might know or have known in the past. That's not the goal. 
The goal is for your hearts to be cared for. The goal is for you to have permission to process. Yes, Scott will bring the mic around. Um, I was involved with a, a couple and went to a couple different churches and then ended up helping with a church plant for nine and a half years. And I was one of their favorites. I didn't realize it until I disappointed them. Um, I thought I was leaving for the mission field and came back because the, the family I joined had some major issues. And um, I didn't realize I was a favorite until I was no longer a favorite. And it was um, a big wake-up call. And I went through a lot of deep depression and rejection mm -hmm. because of my childhood just being mm -hmm. rejected. And mm -hmm. I had found acceptance not knowing it was a lust for mm -hmm. acceptance, actually. Yeah. Um, wanting to belong. And, you know, it's just been amazing what God has done. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I can... And then once God just began to heal my heart, I realized... <laughs> how hurtful my part in that relationship was. I was allowed yeah. to be manipulated mm -hmm. and I, you know, and just even through like a de daily devotional and email, it's a sin to manipulate and be manipulated was mm -hmm. the title of this one email I was getting from a mm -hmm. Bible study and I was like, whoa. And then I just really was grieved at how mm -hmm. other people, because of how I dealt with rejection so mm -hmm. severely, how other people must have felt when mm -hmm. I was Jenny girl, you know, and just yeah. in the center of the spotlight for yeah. so many years. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Bless you. Anybody else that would have the liberty of sharing, yes, how you have been hurt, wounded, offended, or have suffered a loss as it related to a leader? I worked for a boss who was uh, really mentally Could abusive. Could you stand, I Maryland. have to stand. She okay. didn't have to stand. I just, I just want them to be able to see you. <laughs> I forgot to ask her, so I'm not okay. playing favorites. <laughs> I, I don't dance either. So, um, I worked for a boss who was mentally abusive, and I, I didn't realize it at the time and, and thought that there was something very wrong with my work performance. So um, I physically was getting ill, um, mm -hmm. stomach aches, um, and then I started sharing with some other management mm -hmm. people about what was happening and mm -hmm. did they see anything that was wrong. Um, and then they started to share that merrily this man has made me cry. Mm -hmm. And this was a man who had been in Vietnam, so this man was just very, very abusive. Mm -hmm. um, so um, because of my situation, and I didn't, I said, you know, to this boss, can I transfer? What can I do? And he wouldn't. He, wouldn't let me transfer, and he just, I mean, he would scream. So um, I chose to go to our HR area and just say, you know, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> having this, this problem, and it just, you know, we need to have it addressed. And um, he did go, they made him go to the doctor, um, and he, they thought he had the beginnings of diabetes and that mm -hmm. maybe he had some physical problems. Mm -hmm. And I did end up leaving the company, mm -hmm. um, but it was very not only mentally wounding, but physically um, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't function at work any longer because mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while, and I didn't have a job, so I just leapt off with the faith of God knowing mm -hmm. that he was going to take care of me, and he did. Mm -hmm. yeah. But... Um, someone who's so mentally abusive like that does cause a lot of mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I wasn't sure that I was even qualified to be an employee, so. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Bless you. Yes. Over. Oh, okay. Cheryl and then uh, Scott. And if you'll stand. Yes. Please. Uh, I had a situation at work um, that was similar to what you were describing. Um, for majority part of my life, my job was always kind of my identity before I knew the Lord. And so I put all my heart and I have a high work ethic. And I encountered a situation with a woman who through, I found out later, because she was jealous of some other things, began to lie to me to our manager and, or not to me, lie about me to our manager mm -hmm. and tell things that directly had to do with the type of job that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And management never came to me. And mm -hmm. they believed her because the manager was a friend of hers. And um, it was very, very devastating. It was um, because it was an at attack on my integrity and my work mm -hmm. ethic. Yes. And um, at first, I was very defensive and tried to explain myself. And then this went on for a period of years. Um, and although it was tempting to lash, lash out and, mm -hmm. and throw the accusations back, uh, the Lord just started showing me, you just, keep, mm -hmm. you just keep having the integrity and being yourself, and, and it'll be fine. And it was a healing process because there was a lot of effects over that many years mm -hmm. of you know, the gossip and everything else mm -hmm. that I would come up against lies, and sometimes people would respond to me. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a bad way just because of the gossip that they yeah. had heard. So yeah. um, it was tempting in that situation to turn the other way and, and kind of feed into what was going on. But um, the Lord mm -hmm. showed me that I didn't need to do that. And eventually, after about six years, mm -hmm. um, this manager who the mm -hmm. situation was, she liked to surround herself with friends and people that built her up, um, it eventually led to her demise. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't anything that I had to do in the process. It was just yeah. what, what, I mean, it did it to herself, yeah. the, the pride and the insecurity. Right. Um, she just kind of, you know, it was all exposed. And so, yeah. Well, the mic is going back to Scott. It reminds me, you remember the story in the book of Esther where uh, Haman was after Mordecai and uh, even built the gallows to have him hung. Who ended up hanging from those gallows? Haman. You gave God opportunity to expose what he wanted to expose, and her sin found her out, and it came back on her. And not that we take any pleasure in that, oh, yeah, but God's in charge, and he took care of you. Bless you. Scott. Hey, I just want to say thanks for the last um, couple meetings that I've been here. I've been going through a lot of these same issues, and uh, I just want to thank everybody for sharing because it's helped me to process this hurt that I have mm. inside. Bless and, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Bless you. Anyone else have uh, freedom? Yes. Okay, we'll go to John, and then we'll come back to Sharon. You haven't got a workout here. <laughs> Um, I, John, would you mind standing? 
<laughs> Thank you, John. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to be obedient. Um, I, I just wanted to share about some past experience that I've had. Uh, I, I used to be on a church board, uh, and I was on it for a good many years. There were 14 or 15 men on that board, and uh, it, uh, as the years progressed, there got to be an inner circle in that board that, of, of three or four that really made all the decisions, and you knew that because it just... It was just going their way all the time, and and uh, something you said a minute ago about uh, they never asked anybody else about what they thought, and to me personally, it became a discouragement. I wasn't on the inner circle, and and uh, it, it makes me wonder what if I was, how would my integrity have been? You know, there's that side too, but I was on this. I was just uh, uh, not on that inner circle, and uh, so it, it kind of discouraged me. Uh, from, you know, I just kind of served half-heartedly. And I think a lot of people might be there in that uh, regard. And uh, I don't have any, uh, it hasn't affected me in terms of, uh, I don't have any unforgiveness, you know. I don't have any, you know, regrets, uh, you know, against anybody or anything like that. But uh, I I suppose that what it has done to me is I, I probably would not want to serve on a board. It probably would keep me from ever, even if I was asked, I probably would not serve on a board just thinking that it's, maybe it's too hard to maintain that kind of integrity, you know. And uh, time is short, you know, we only have a certain amount of time, all of us, and I probably would, I would probably think to myself, uh, you know, that uh, why waste the time? You know, I can maybe be more profitable in some other venture, so to speak. And uh, so... uh, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I just wanted to share that, uh, yeah. and I think that's that's a thing that uh, happens often yes. on boards. Yes, that's so true. Thanks for sharing that, John. Sharon, this is something I hate to do, <laughs> but I feel. Years ago, in a smaller church, I was chairman or a coordinator for a prayer chain. And the senior pastor's granddaughter had leukemia. She was a twin. And um, we were praying for her, believing the Lord to bring a healing. And uh, what developed was the pastor suddenly resigned. And uh, they decided to call an evangelist who also attended the church. Mm-hmm. And when this evangelist was not voted in to the ministry position, I was accused of being the wolf in sheep's clothing, using the prayer chain mm-hmm. to keep this man out of the pastorate. And, um, and it was by the, the previous pastor's family, whose daughter had mm-hmm. leukemia. Mm-hmm. And that the prayers of the prayer chain or the church only went as high as the ceiling. And Morgan was on the church board at the time. And I think um, as I've seen things through the years since that, the enemy would try to use uh, rejection and abandonment, all those deep issues. Was I, you know, Lord, did I have a critical spirit? What was really wrong with me Mm -hmm. when it was never my heart and I never did what they said? Mm -hmm. To see those accusations that come Mm -hmm. against someone whose heart really is to help. Yeah. and to be there and to support other people. Mm-hmm. 
So that's, it's been a very sensitive thing. And yeah. I, I'm very, uh, still very cautious, I yeah. think. Yeah. Don't want any limelight. Yeah. Hate to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> well, bless so you, I, So I see those things that continue. And I, I don't know that, I think it was out of their own pain, out of mm -hmm. their own hurt yeah. of losing a daughter from leukemia mm -hmm. that um, the hurt went out to. And then these people also came against every woman on that prayer chain who were mm -hmm. beautiful Christian people. Mm -hmm. uh, so to see those hurtful things and yes. never coming to say, is any of this is true. Yeah. Today, I hope uh, part of what you're um, thinking and realizing so far as, as far as uh, how I'm approaching this uh, is that uh, in a beginning way, we're uh, bringing things out into the light, uh, giving some biblical definition and perspective, uh, giving permission for you to begin to process and think about it and, and have permission to proceed. Uh, and then we'll go on beside, beyond today. This is just the first part. So it's not like we're going to try to resolve everything and get everything all taken care of today. I mean, if it can be in your heart, great. If it will be in your heart, great. I don't want to hinder that. Let God be God. But as far as my approach to this, I don't want us to feel rushed, but that we're just starting somewhere and uh, giving permission. Uh, one thing that can be kind of a stumbling block is something I mentioned earlier is uh, not speaking against God's anointed, for example. And processing the issues of your heart um, and the half sheet that you have there, who or what has hurt you or offended you, what have you felt, um, what have you thought, and that whole process that we lead people through on f Monday nights at Fresh Start. And it's really a lifestyle thing for Fresh Start freedom and relational wholeness. Keep in mind that it's not, it doesn't have to be an issue of speaking against God's anointed because let's say, for example, it's, it happens to be a person who's a pastor. The, the office, we need to think in terms of the office is sacred. The office is God's idea. The person in the office is there because God put them there or God has them there or is allowing them to be there for purposes beyond our comprehension. So we want to honor the office. We want to honor the position, be it a father who's an alcoholic and beats his kids and his wife all the time, and may that cease, maybe that, may that discontinue, may that stop, yes, yes, yes. But the position is the position. So people that have been hurt by family leaders, a father, they're thinking, how can I honor a father who did that? Well, the starting point is to honor the position and not think that you have to honor the behavior because God doesn't honor the behavior either. He's not going to have you honor behavior that he doesn't honor. So when we read, honor thy father and mother, it's honoring the position. Now, how can we relate to the person in that position with their behavior the way it is? Now what do we do? But we start with the position, whether it's a father, whether it's a pastor, whether it's the president, whether it's the teacher, whether that's the coach. We honor the position. We don't speak against the position. We don't attack the position. 
Now what do we do with the person? That is a different thing. And just to seed your thinking, and then I want to hear more, look at Joseph, prime example. As far as I can read, as far as I can tell, well, we know there was only one who was sinless, Jesus Christ, so I'll get to him. But starting with Joseph, yeah, you could say, well, maybe he shouldn't have been talking to his brothers about the dreams. You know, maybe that was, maybe there was some pride coming through there. Well, they didn't like it. It bumped them for sure, and they wanted to get rid of him. They sold him into slavery, and Potiphar picked him up, and it went on from there. And Potiphar had him thrown in jail, and then he spent a long time there. But as far as I can tell, he was blameless as far as what's written. And God continued to give him favor. And God continued to promote him. And God continued to elevate him. And he eventually got out. And here, isn't this ironic? He, he went from the pit to the palace. And in between, if I can say it this way, before he went to the, well, he went to the pit to begin with. Then he was in Potiphar's place. And he was in second in command there. He went to the pit and then promoted to the palace and ended up being second in command in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up. And then we know the story in the end, right at the end of Genesis, 50th chapter, when dad's, their father passed away, and now the brothers are shaking in their boots. Now what's he going to do? You know, it seems like it's been going pretty well, but now, dad, now that dad is dead, what's he going to do? Kill us now? And that, of course, that just broke Joseph's heart to think they were even think that. And those profound words, what you, what you meant for evil. Brothers, what you meant for evil. And then he, you could look back over there. You know, I was thrown in the pit, the Ishmaelites picked me up, sold into slave, you know, sold into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house, falsely accused, back in, back in the pit again. The, the baker and that uh, cupbearer in there forgot about him and stayed in there some more time. It's like, God, where are you? But God was preparing him. God allowed what he allowed to prepare him to be the leader that God wanted him to be. Now that is true of Joseph. He was, he's an imperfect example because there's only one who's never sinned, and then we see Jesus with the religious leaders, the crucifixion. It was ridiculous, you know, a mock. I mean, it was ridiculous. What a setup. But then Jesus didn't see himself as a victim. They didn't have to drag him to the cross. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And those profound words, I believe, that just grip my heart in First Peter's First Peter two twenty one. First Peter two twenty one. Where it says, To this you were called, he was, he's been talking about suffering. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, 
he entrusted himself to him who judges fairly. I'm so glad that the Lord allowed me to experience what I've experienced. And in my situation, since coming on staff here, it's not like it has been, uh, it's not like it's been examples of extreme situations where, you know, being sexually abused by a youth pastor or uh, some other extreme, extreme wrong done to me. But like all of us, we have temptation. We have things on our radar screen. And whether it's our issue or the other person's issue or a combination, we've got choices to make. And I know what God has allowed me to experience, experience before Trinity and, and here in terms of things that have offended me, things that have hurt me, what I did with them have all been a part of the making of a man. I was tempted to quit for the first 15 years at least, every year. And anything I'm sharing, I'm not sharing to put anybody else in a bad light because I take responsibility. But I believe we're always learning. We're learning how to be, we're learning how not to be. And I want to see it from God's point of view. And I have worked under and with leaders that have given me some good pictures at times, and at other times they've not given me a good picture at all. But the picture I'm going to go by is the master commander, Jesus Christ. It helps me understand based on what those little crossroads that I've been to, and it's like, what... Where would, I have been, where would I be today if I would have quit back in the mid-'80s when I didn't feel I was being valued? I was even questioning, do, do they want me here? You know, because people would go to Pastor Murdoch and Nancy and complain about me. And at those times, and I've talked to Pastor about this, so this is not putting him in a bad light. I, just, I take full responsibility. And he was very teachable and asked my forgiveness and all is well with he and I. So this is not putting anybody in a bad light. But at those times, I felt like when some of the people went to Pastor Nancy, that my perception is that, that they, he sided with them. And I, at those times, I felt like I was out on a limb there. I felt like I was all alone out there. Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? Quit? I was tempted. Where would I be today if I would have quit? Would have gone to work somewhere else for the same thing, or worse, would have happened. <laughs> Which doesn't make it right. But here's where, and I want to seed your thinking with this, because I want today to be a beginning of permission and a beginning of destination. I don't want this just to be, okay, we'll bring it out in the light. We'll just talk about it. We'll just air it. We'll just talk. We'll just exhale. Okay. Okay, now what? Okay, yes. Let's begin to exhale, and where are we going with it? One thing that the Lord taught me back then before I um, started using the words that I now use in terms of settling things at the extreme, but in the beginning, Back then, he started helping me settle things at the extreme. And when I got the impression back then that um, people were complaining about me and I didn't feel supported, I felt like I was kind of in it on my own, 
with my wife, with the Lord, yes. But uh, I could have made it a rightness thing. I could have made it an unfairness thing. But I went to the Lord with it, and he said, uh, I know it was the Lord. He spoke to my heart, and he said, even if nobody else wants you here, I do. And furthermore, Steve, if I want you here, nobody can get rid of you. And if I don't want you here, then you surely don't want to hang on. That settled it for me right there. Because I believe it becomes a trap. The fairness trap is a, the unfairness trap is a big trap. And then another thing I settled at the extreme, when I first came to the Lord, was when I sold out to Jesus, and this was amazing that he put this in me right from the beginning. Nobody taught me this except him. He spoke to my heart and said, the way we're going to live this is that no, no matter how anybody else lives, even if everybody denies me, here again, settled at the extreme, even if everybody quits, even if everybody is a poor example, even if everybody is a hypocrite and nobody's living this life the way I want them to, you live it and make that all that matters. That was right from the beginning. That has served me well. Because then, when things go on around me, Oh, yeah, it can be offensive. Yeah, it can be bewildering. Yeah, it can be bizarre at times. Yeah, it can be offensive. But where I finally settle is, Lord, you just reminded me again there's only one that's perfect. It's not me, and it's not them. It's you. You're the one. You're the one. And you're, a good, you're, you're more than a good enough reason, Lord. You are, you are the reason to keep going. And another thing that I've learned is that if the Lord's allowing it in my life, no matter how wrong it is, no matter how bizarre it is, no matter how bewildering it is, no matter how unfair it is, if he's allowing me to be exposed to it, to walk through it, then I must need it for his purposes, for his purposes to be done in the making of Steve Peterson a favored son. Oh, that has served me well. I don't want to say too much on the note that I'm just saying, because if I, if I weigh this session too much on the kind of things that I've just been saying, there'd be the potential of you not feeling validated. There'd be the potential of you not feeling like I care about how you feel and that I'm not trying to understand or that nobody's trying to understand. So there's a wisdom, there's a wisdom balance, if you will. There's a divine tension between I want you to know that I care and I want you especially to know that he's the God who sees and he cares and he knows. And I pray, I pray you'll take great comfort in, in that. El Roy, the God who sees, who, who cares. He cares. Well, why would he allow it if they're so... If they're such a poor leader, why doesn't he get him out of there? <laughs> he's, got more in, he's got more in mind. He's got more in mind. 
than we can see. And if we demand fairness, if we demand rightness, it'll be a cancer to us. And the very thing, here's the ironic thing, the very thing that we think is wrong with them will become wrong with us or worse. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Isn't that ironic? Because if we allow our hearts to be poisoned, then we won't be able to see straight. And we may not be guilty of the same stuff they're doing, but we'll be guilty of something else because our hearts are poisoned. We're contaminated. We're disillusioned. Because we got our eyes on man, and they're supposed to do it right. Yeah, they are. So am I. And it needs to be more important that I'm right with God in my heart than that anybody else is doing it right. They both matter, but it needs to matter more how my heart is doing. I'm so glad that Cheryl cooperated with the Lord going through what she went through. Sometimes you're able to see, quote, justice done, if I can say it that way. Not that we want that person thrown away, you know. It's not like God's goal is get them out of there, throw them on the trash heap of humanity and let them rot there. No. God would want that person who led poorly to come to their senses and become the person he wants them to be. So I pray this morning in a beginning way, the Lord's given you permission to be honest with yourself and honest with God and and not be afraid, not be afraid to think about this, not to be afraid to feel about it and not be afraid to talk to somebody about it. Be wise in who you talk to. You know, certainly you could... Uh, process this in the context of uh, those who are uh, leaders and um, uh, those that are part of the Completing Christ team uh, because we're going to be solution-oriented. I mean, we're, we're going to listen and care and lead you onward and upward. So be wise in who you spill with because you, you, that if you're not careful, you could be guilty of gossip. You could be guilty of speaking against God's anointed. You could cross the line. If you do, repent. It's a fresh start. Because sometimes when we start exhaling, we go too far. But don't just keep stuffing it. Because if you keep stuffing it, if you don't enter into a process, and that's why we put something in your hand today, And some of you are familiar with this, and with some of you it's new. But nonetheless, it is something God, I believe, wants to be a lifestyle. He wants this to be a lifestyle. He wants this to be a lifestyle of who or what has hurt you or offended you, or what have you lost? How have you been affected? What have you thought? What have you felt? How have you responded? To answer these questions, begin to write them out, just between you and the Lord. Yes, you can come to Fresh Start. Yes, you can set up an appointment to meet with somebody on the CICM team. But you could just start with just you and the Lord and just start writing down your answers to these questions and just start addressing this. To get the disillusionment out, to get the poison out, to get the toxic bitterness out, and to start. Don't let the enemy, don't let the enemy use it for evil. He wants to. He wants to use it to destroy you. He wants you to become cynical and proud. 
And with John, one thing I would say to you, John, is that not that you said anything wrong or this is not a correction. I'm, I would be totally understand, I'm totally understanding what you're saying and why you're saying it. But I believe God's word to you would include when it comes to the possibility of serving in a leadership role again, God wants to use that from the past and what he's done in you, in your heart since, so that if you are on a board again, you are there to be God's man, no matter how anybody else is. So that the imperfections that you see will not pull you down, but that you'll be on assignment from God, a holy mandate from God, living to an audience of one, and be prepared for a lot of imperfection. Be prepared for a lot of stuff that is not pleasing to the Lord or to you, but to realize that that's, you're not there and you're not guilty by association because God knows you are a man of integrity. God knows you are a carrier of his life and God would want you there representing him. What happens and this is not a, I'm not, this is, this is pure, this is clean, this is not a manipulation. But what happens is so many people have the kind of experience John Ware had. And what they do is it puts such a bitter taste in their mouth, they don't want anything to do with it again. And what, then what happens? Then who is filling? Who's making up? You know, that happens. And now you're, you're, you're a man of integrity. You're the kind of man I want on a committee. You're the kind of man I want on a board. But if there are many like you that have, had, have still got this bad taste in your mouth from past experience who won't step up to the plate and won't be a part of leadership teams today, then who is going to fill them? Who is going to be a part of them? More of the same ones that you saw before. And what often happens in leadership situations is people just use each other. So many times people, because of the appetite for status, they want to be a part of something, yes, but they want to be close to the leader, yes. They want to have a little inner circle audience with the leader, yes. And then so many times the leader wants his cheerleaders, so they're just using each other. It's amazing. People in their insecurity and unresolved issues, they want the significance of the attention of the leader. And then the leader wants the attention of the people. Where's God in all this? You are the kind of man that we need, brother. So freedom, no pressure, just opportunity, as God gives opportunity. But don't land where, where I kind of heard you were considering. Don't land there. You are a, a man that God wants to use in the future. Fasten your seatbelt, brother, what God has led you through with your past experiences are to prepare you to be God's representative in the now, to step up to the plate in the now, and to be one who's not passive, who doesn't fear, the man, who doesn't fear man, and who will be God's man, a tender warrior leader. May the Lord raise up more. And this is not to highlight John or play favorites, but this is, this is John Weir as an example. And just to use his example, his experience of what he was touching on, just to expose what the enemy wants to do. What the enemy wants to do is, oh, 
And it's the truth. Justin works in Washington, D.C. You know, we, we see so many of, so we see this in all walks of life. We get burned, we get disillusioned. We